Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Uh, might encourage you to go to our website, BibleCrossfire.com. Actually, this was done by my friend Shane Pack. You can go here and you can listen to any of our old programs. You can ask me a Bible question via email, or you can take a Bible correspondence course over the Internet, or you can request a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at this particular location at BibleCrossfire.com. Appreciate you listening. I thought while we're waiting on our first call, and if you have a Bible question or comment, why don't you go ahead and give us a call now while the lines are wide open instead of waiting till the end when it's hard to get in. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. I thought we'd look at some passages while we're waiting. Basically, some if passages. Uh, if in English states a condition, I, I looked the word if up in dictionary.com and here's what it says that if means. It says on condition that, a condition, requirement, or stipulation. So I thought we'd look at a number of passages tonight where you have this word if. I start with Matthew 4, 9, and this is going to illustrate how that if is presents a condition. This is the context where Jesus is tempting, excuse me, the devil is tempting Jesus. In Matthew 4, 9, it says, And he saith unto him, and this is the devil speaking, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. The devil thought he had power to give all this to Jesus. I don't know how, why he didn't realize that Jesus had the power to take it. But he says, I'll give it all to you if you fall down and worship me. So it was conditioned. The devil was offering to Jesus that he would give him all these things if he would fall down and worship him. It was conditioned upon falling down and worshiping the devil. Of course, Jesus refused. But that, that kind of illustrates for us the nature of the word if. It states a condition. If you do this, I'll give you this. The way that works is you have to do that particular thing in order to get the promised thing. How about another one in Matthew 5.13? Jesus is speaking here. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. I think what Jesus is talking about in these two or three verses in this section is, is we need as Christians to be a good example. And he compares us to salt here. Salt, I mean, I like to put, I like to have salt on my food. I don't put it on there very much because it's not good for you, but it makes it taste good, doesn't it? Salt add, adds flavor to your food. But let's say you left the salt out in the weather or whatever, and, and it doesn't have any flavor anymore. It's not going to do any good to put it on your food. It doesn't have any flavor. The only thing you can do with it then is basically maybe throw it out on the road to melt the ice or whatever. That's the That's the importance of the Christian's example and behavior. If we lose our example because of ungodly behavior, then we're, then we're like salt that's lost its flavor. We're not going to be a good example. We're not going to be, be able to do any good in this world. So be careful as a Christian to guard your example and to live right, not only for your own soul's salvation, but also because of the people who are watching. And when they say, look at that, that guy's just a hypocrite, claims to be a Christian, but he's not living right. That's not going to, 
entice them or encourage them to become a Christian. That's going to encourage them to run away from it. We're talking about if statements in the Bible today. How about Matthew 6, 14 and 15? Here Jesus is speaking again. He says, for if you forgive them their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you see the nature of the condition there stated by the if? Jesus is saying, look, you need to be willing to forgive others. When they sin against you, you need to be willing to forgive them. And if you don't, God's not going to be willing to forgive you. God's not going to be willing to forgive you if you're not willing to forgive others. Uh, that's the nature of this if statement. You know, it wouldn't, you can't be forgiven for sin if you're not willing to forgive others. Here's a person that decides he wants to believe and repent of his sins and be baptized. We think, well, he gets the forgiveness of all his sins. Acts 2.38. Not if he's not willing to forgive others. Him, he won't. This is an absolute here in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. You have to be willing to forgive others their sins against you if you want to be forgiven by God, either as becoming a Christian or if you're already a Christian. Now, Luke 17, 3 gives a caveat to that. Jesus is speaking here too. He says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. There's our little word if then. Again, it says, first of all, if your brother trespasses against thee, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. So the passage we just read a while ago, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, shows our obligation to be willing to forgive others who sin against us. It's so obligatory. It means that if we're not willing to do that, we won't be forgiven by God for our sin. But this verse says, if he repents, forgive him. So it's just like God forgiving us. God only forgives us if we repent. And we should only forgive others who sin against us if they repent. Otherwise, we'd be giving them a false hope of salvation. They think, well, Pat forgave me, therefore I'm forgiven by God, and that's not so. This verse says we're to rebuke somebody if they sin against us. Then if they repent, forgive him. So forgiving him means we quit rebuking him. And we don't want to quit rebuking him as we have opportunity until he repents, because that's what he needs, and love demands it. If we love his soul, we're going to continue to rebuke him. We're not going to forgive him until he repents because he's got to repent to go to heaven. And that's the number one thing in this life is try to get to heaven. If you have a Bible question or a comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. How about Matthew 15, 14, another if statement? Jesus said, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Notice the big little word, if, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Jesus teaches almost constantly by analogy in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here, the blind leader represents the false religious teacher. The blind follower represents us if we allow that false religious teacher to lead us astray. The illustration is, suppose two men who are blind are walking through a pasture come upon a ditch, what's likely to happen? They're going to fall in. So here's the point. The ditch represents being lost or the bad place. If we allow a false teacher to lead us astray, we're going to be lost just like he is. I think a lot of people have this attitude. Look, if that false, if my preacher, if my pastor teaches something wrong, he'll be held responsible, but not me because I'm supposed to follow him. No, Jesus is 
debunking that theory. He's saying, no, if you follow him, you're going to end up in the same place he, he is, the ditch, being lost. Don't you let yourself be led astray by a false teacher. Now, you know, what would be the best way to keep yourself being led astray by a false teacher? I think that's answered by Acts 17, verse 11. It says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So here we have Paul and Silas preaching. Verse 10. I mean, Paul's one of the more famous preachers of all time, probably second only to Jesus. If you can accept anybody blindly, it would be Paul. But these Bereans are very highly complimented because they didn't just accept what Paul said blindly. They searched the scriptures to see if what he said was so. Because they know that the scriptures are the only thing that's inspired of God. If Pat's here preaching on this radio program, I might be wrong. I'm just human. But if I'm proving what I'm saying by the Bible, you check it and make sure that I'm proving that. Then you can count on that as being the truth. That's what, that's how you guard against being led astray by a false teacher is through Bible study on your own, checking what the teachers are saying by the Bible. If the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. You're going to be lost if you allow yourself to be led astray by a false teacher. So check what they say. Check what I say. Check what your preacher says. Check what somebody says on the TV. If they're talking about the Bible, make sure they're proving it by the Bible. You know, we've, uh, we've, uh, we know about other people on Sirius XM like Andrew Farley teaching Calvinism. We challenge them, people like Andrew, to a debate, but they won't debate. I wonder why. You know, John 3, 19 through 21, I think helps to answer that question. Let me read that. John 3, 19 through 21. It says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I've heard that a very quick way to summarize that passage is this, and I agree with it. Truth fears no investigation. So when somebody like Andrew Farley, these Calvinists and these other false teachers, you know, the blind leaders who are trying to lead you astray when somebody challenges them to a public debate and they refuse that shows that deep down they know that their position really can't be successfully defended because if they really thought they could successfully defend their position they would be more than happy to debate it publicly because it would be easy i mean if you got the truth all you got to do is say here's what the bible says and it means what it says but if you don't have the truth, you have to say, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't think it means what it says. You see how the debate would go? That's why these false teachers won't agree to debate because they know in the debate, they would have to be constantly saying, I know that's what the Bible says, but it doesn't mean that. And they don't want to do that. When you really believe you have the truth, you truth fears no investigation. You're going to be willing to defend it just as publicly as you preach it. That's what we see in John 3, 19 through 21. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. How about another if statement in Matthew 16, 24 through 26? Here Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. 
and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This to me exemplifies what total commitment to Christ is all about. You want to come after him, you got to deny yourself. You got to quit doing what Pat wants to do. Start doing what Christ wants you to do. I mean, that, that's, that phrase from 15 or 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? Love that phrase. That's exactly what we should do. What Jesus would do when we're faced with temptation. Do what Jesus would do. Remember, we were reading about him being tempted by the devil a while ago in Matthew 4. What did Jesus do? He resisted the temptation with scripture. When I'm faced with a decision in life, do what Jesus would do. Take up his cross. Cross, the cross represented sacrifice for Christ. So I suppose it represents sacrifice for us. We got to take up the cross. We got to make sacrifices for Christ and follow Christ. We can't follow Christ like, you know, physically walking around with him through the countryside, hearing him preach every day like the apostles did, you know, camping out with him at night, uh, eating with him all the time. We don't follow Jesus like that. He's not on the earth. How do we follow Jesus? follow his teachings like a guy says i'm a follower of gandhi what does that mean gandhi's dead he means i study his teachings i follow his teachings same for us it's that we're going to be followers of christ we study his teachings we follow his teachings that's how we follow christ his teachings are the bible in particular for us the new testament law the law of christ verse 25 for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it if you want to gain eternal life, you got to lose your physical life here. You got to do what Jesus would do. You got to let Christ live in you. Take control of your life. Galatians 2.20. Now, if you try to hold on to your physical life here, you're going to lose spiritual life according to that verse. Verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's kind of like an accounting thing. You know, even if you were to gain all the money and all the material possessions in the whole world and lose your own soul, lose your soul, you're worse off than a person who only had a penny but went to heaven. You see that? Here's another passage that has the word if in it. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man in a public. I think I might have counted four or five times the word if is in those three verses. This is basically talking about what a person, what you're to do if somebody sins against you. You try to get them to repent. If they won't repent, then take one or two more with you. If they still won't repent, then you take it to the church. And the church tries to get him to repent. And if he won't repent, then the church has to withdraw from him. Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, I don't think the Jews were right for this, but they treated the Gentiles in such a way they wouldn't eat with them. I doubt they were right about that. But Jesus is saying, this is how you have to treat this withdrawn from brother in Christ. This brother in Christ who's been withdrawn from, you're going to have to, 1 Corinthians 5 says you're not to keep company with him, not to eat with him. You're to treat him like the Jews treated the Gentiles. You have to withdraw from him. That's what Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is talking about. 
If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. Again, 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Matthew 19, 17 is another place that has the word if in it. Jesus speaking says, he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if, there's our word if, but if thou will enter to life, keep the commandments. Now, this was said while the Old Testament law was still binding. And the rich young ruler had wanted to know what to do to eternal, inherit eternal life. And, he, and Jesus told him, keep the commandments. Well, remember, a rich young ruler said, well, I've been doing that. What like I yet? He says, well, he could tell he had a problem with money. Go sell everything he had and come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. He was a man of great possessions. He wasn't willing to do it. But even under the Old Testament times, if you wanted to enter into life, Jesus said, keep the commandments. It's really true. Same thing's true under the New Testament. We just have different commandments. If you want to enter into life, you have to keep Jesus's, the New Testament commandments. And then another if statement, Mark 9, verse 35. And he sat down and called the 12 and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. If you want to be first, if you want to be a first class citizen in the kingdom of heaven, you got to be last. But if you desire to be first, you're going to be last. In other words, it's not going to be the one that's considered the greatest in the kingdom. is not going to be the one that gets to speak before the biggest crowds or anything like that. It's going to be the servant. Let me read Matthew 20, verse 26 through 27 to confirm that. Here's that passage. It says, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Or the newer translations will say servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. So it's not necessarily the greatest orator, the one who gets to preach the most gospel meetings that's going to be considered the greatest in the kingdom. It's the one that does the most work, the one that serves the most. Like maybe a lady who, whenever somebody's sick, takes some food or somebody, there's a death in the family, she takes some food. Or I know a man, he's about almost 90 years old, but when a widow needs her grass cut, he goes over there. It's Bill Smith, by the way, for the people that know me. He goes over there and cuts their grass for free, just to have the goodness of his heart. And he's almost 90 years old. That's the person that's the greatest in the kingdom. The guy who's going to serve others. Not the one who's getting to speak before the largest audiences, but the one that's willing to do things for other people. That's what we're saying here in these, seeing here in these passages. The greatest is going to be the servant. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. How about Mark chapter 10, verse 12? says, it's another, we're just going through passages that have the word if in them, these conditional statements. It says, and if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So here's the if statement. If the woman puts away her husband and marries another, she shall commit adultery. Yeah, I don't think a lot of preachers, I don't think a lot of churches are even close to going along with that anymore. Maybe they did a hundred years ago, but now you got Churches that are just full of women and men who have put away their spouse and have remarried and therefore they're committing adultery. Now we know that Matthew 19, 9 says if you put them away except for fornication. It does give one exception to this general rule that's stated in Mark 10, 11, Mark 10, 12. 
But most people who get divorces these days, they're not doing it because their spouse cheated on them for fornication. They're doing it for incompatibility. That's by far the most common cause of divorce in Alabama and probably every other state too. This says if a woman puts away her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. But we have churches that allow that going and coming. People divorce their spouses, marry again. Jesus calls it adultery. But those churches, those preachers don't, they don't care that Jesus calls it adultery. <laughs> They're not going to call it adultery. They're going to say it's okay. I don't know why. Is it because they're afraid of losing members and contribution maybe? Who's going to be willing to stand for what Jesus says here? Which churches out there, which preachers are going to be willing to stand and say, hey, if a woman puts away their spouse and marries another, they commit adultery. Who's, who's willing to say that? John the Baptist was willing to say that in Mark 10 about uh, Herod and Herodias. He said, it's not lawful for you to have her. Guess what? John the Baptist lost his head because of that. And these preachers are scared to say the same thing as John the Baptist because they're afraid of losing a few members. John the Baptist was willing to preach the truth on divorce and remarriage, even though it cost him his life. If you put away your spouse and marry another, you commit adultery. I didn't say that. Jesus did. It's adultery. How about the if statement, John 17, 17? If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Hmm. This is a, is a very amazing promise, I think. If you want to do God's will, you'll know of the doctrine, whether it comes from God or not. And that's a very valuable thing to know, very encouraging and comforting thing to know, especially in our environment. We have all these different people teaching different things. And I'm, I'm thinking some of the people out here listening may just throw up their hands and give up. They're preaching all these different things. How am I supposed to know what's right? Jesus guarantees here that if you want to know, you really want to know what the truth is, you'll know. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5, 6, one of the, one of the Beatitudes. If you really want righteousness so much that it can be said you're hungering and thirsting after it, like like if you're hungry and thirsting after food or water, you're really to do just about anything to get it. If you're willing to do just about anything to get the truth, God said you'll be filled. Jesus said you'll be filled. In Matthew 7, 7, he says, seek and you shall find. That's a guarantee. It's not a maybe. You seek God. If you seek the truth, you'll find the truth. So don't throw up your hands and give up. What you got to do is just study the Bible for yourself. and You'll be able to figure it out. There's a guarantee here. If you really want to know his will, you'll know of the doctrine, John 17, 17. And then how about this if statement in John 7, 37? In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You know, this reminds me of Jesus talking to the woman at the well in uh, John 4. Basically talking about where well, you can drink physical water like he was getting out of the well, or you can drink this spiritual water. You'll drink this spiritual water, you'll live forever. This is, in other words, if you will drink this water, I mean partake in the sacrifice of Christ or take advantage of the sacrifice of Christ, appropriate the sacrifice of Christ to yourself. If you'll do that, if you'll drink that water, then you, the Bible says you'll never die. You'll live spiritually. If you do that, though, if you do that. How about John 8, 24? Talking about something very similar, but it puts it in more, uh, 
literal terms. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins for if ye believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. You see the if statement, the conditional nature of it? If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. It's a condition, which turn that around. That means if you do believe, you won't die in your sins, but it makes belief an absolute condition. Of course, we have all these people that think so highly of Billy Graham, but he said, oh, the, the Muslims and the Jews can be saved as long as they're faithful to their religion, even if they don't believe in Jesus. But Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. That's an absolute. Why can't we just say what Jesus said and not be ashamed of it? I don't know. If you'd like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. A free one-hour phone Bible study with me. When it's convenient for you, call or text me, 256-682-9753. Appreciate you listening this evening to Bible Crossfire. And be sure and listen next week at this same time.